Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good afternoon, everybody. Whoops, my hair's a little out of whack there. Um, good to see everybody. Um, last time we were here, uh, we talked about taking the limits off of God, and we asked. Uh, we went through several things. A quick review. <clears throat> we taught that we limited God by seeing Him as He was, as we were taught that He was, not necessarily how He says that He is. Um, the 20th century church is is a product of years of unbelief. Um, and then we went on and and we saw that. Uh, the Israelites were constantly in trouble because they refused to believe uh, the promises of God. They refused to believe the Word of God. And Hebrews 4, 3 and 4 tell about uh, how their hearts were hardened and they were not able to proceed because of their unbelief. So, uh, the world looks at the church failing to enter into the abundant life and concludes that faith doesn't work. No prayers get answered, none of the miracles of Jesus. And so, uh, that's what we want to combat. That's what we're, what we're talking about here. Now, the political environment is such that we find ourselves living in a modern Babylon. And what, this, what we're going to be teaching here is how to survive in Babylon, and not only survive, but, <coughs> pardon me, but how to uh, teach the Word and how to see the miracles of Jesus proceed. Now, There were questions that we wanted to ask. There's three main questions. Why is it so hard for us to take the Bible at face value in the areas of healing, prosperity, and deliverance? Why do we have so much trouble accepting that the promises in the Bible are for us? And why have we lost the ability to accept the plain sense of the Word of God? Uh, We confess with our mouths, but we waver in our hearts. Those are the questions that we want to uh, want to deal with. Um, Romans 12:2 speaks about renewing our mind, and it says, "Be ye transformed." And the word "transform" is the same word we get metamorphosis from. Now it's interesting. Metamorphosis simply means a planned growth event. So the caterpillar is going to become a butterfly, but there's a planned growth event in there. And in the chrysalis stage, it gets really rough because everything about him changes. And he turns into basically a liquid goo until all of the parts are are formed and he comes out a butterfly. And you can't short-circuit that process. If you do, uh, it'll kill the butterfly. Uh, He has to struggle to get out of that. Now, today we want to talk about everything is possible for him who believes. Now, we're speaking about taking the limits off of God by uh, Dr. James B. Richards. Uh, it's a small book, big print, no pictures, so it'll be easy to go through. Um, now we want to we want to look at several different things here. Um, in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, Jesus tells us, um, "If you speak to the mountain, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> if you speak to the mountain." And believe what you say is going to come to pass, it'll happen for you. Okay? Now, Mark 9, 14 through 29, um, I, I left my Bible in the car so I don't have my Bible with me, but Mark 9, 14 through 29 
is the story of Jesus healing a young man who's, who was demon-possessed. And his father came to Jesus and said some, some classic things to him. said, uh, if you believe, you know, if you can't do anything, help us. Uh, the implication is, I'm not sure if you can. I'm not sure if you will. I know you can, but I don't know if you will. I don't know if you're actually willing to heal my son even though I know you can. So what do I need to do to implore you to do that? <clears throat> he says, um, we've taken them to your, to your disciples and they were unable to get the job done. So Jesus made the great comment. He said, oh, you unbelieving generation. Unbelieving generation. Now, in the light of that, the unbelieving generation. What is a generation? Well, it's an entire, you know, you've got, uh, I'm part of the baby boomer generation. My mom and dad were part of the elders, what's called the elders generation. Uh, then you have uh, Generation Z. You have the millenniums. You have Generation X. Now you've got Generation Z. Uh, those, are, those are periods of time where people grow up. Okay, so it's usually about 33 to 40 years is considered a generation. Now, he said, what do I have to do with you, you unbelieving generation? So, <clears throat> if you have an unbelieving generation, that means you have an entire group of people that have never heard the Word. Okay? And if you go back and read carefully uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull those up on my phone. So hang with me here a second while I while I pull this up. And we'll look at it from the modern English version. We'll go to Deuteronomy chapter eight or pardon me, chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six verses one through eight. Now I want you to listen to this. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances which the Lord your God commanded to teach you so that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess so that you might fear the Lord your God in order to keep all of His statutes and commandments which I command you today. Hear therefore, Israel, O Israel, be careful to do it so that it may be well with you and so that you may multiply greatly as the Lord has promised. Now, in verse 4, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In essence, what he's saying is, you're making the Word of God a priority and teaching them to your children. Now, we've got kids today that are growing up and they're being taught things that are just incomprehensible. Um, I saw one place where they're, they're trying, they, there's no longer a little boy and a little girl. It's uh, 72 different genders. Get that. 72 genders. I didn't even bother to look up what any of them were. 
72 different genders. Not two, not a boy and a girl. So they're being taught these things. They're being taught that homosexuality is part of life. That's, that's a normal part of life. Um, it's okay to have as many parents as you want. Uh, on and on and on. This is what the kids are being taught during the day at school. Um, they're perverting history. They're taking the history out of uh, what actually happened in this country and they're, they're bending it to their own will. So our kids are being taught by others things that we don't want them to teach. But the question is, are we teaching them what God said in His Word? Are we debriefing the kids when they come home and finding out what it is they did teach? And when you find out about it, are you doing anything about it? We find out right now in Virginia, it's kind of ground zero for some of this uh, racial teaching, and that the parents are saying, no, we don't want this for our kids. This isn't right. And they're, they're, they're beginning to stand up and fight for their kids. Now, uh, in this story, Jesus says the boy gets thrown into the fire and he couldn't do it. He called it an unbelieving generation. They don't believe the words of God. They don't believe what God said is true. So uh, the guy says, oh, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So kind of a, a, kind of a problem there. He's, he's, got, he's a, uh, what James 1 calls... A, a duo mind. He's, he's, he's a man of two minds. Well, yeah, I think he can heal him. No, I don't think he won't. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, and so he's never steady on what God's Word says. Now, um, the disciples' failure to heal was probably because they didn't deal with the Father's unbelief. Um, if you go back to, to Mark chapter 5 and the story of Jairus and his daughter... When Jairus healed, was, his daughter was healed, Jesus took everybody that didn't believe out of the room. And he brought in his parents, her parents who did believe, and John and James and Peter who did believe. He brought them in and he surrounded himself with people that believed. In this case, the disciples didn't do that. His father uh, the boy's father was there, and probably his unbelief helped uh, taint the whole process. Now, think in terms of our kids today. They're not being taught anything about God. They're not being taught anything about righteous living or about morality or anything. Anything goes to today's world, and that's what they're learning. Okay, And the, their iPhones and their iPads and so forth... Uh, social media is not helping anything. Okay, Now, let's go on. Jesus gets the guy healed. The little boy gets healed. And his disciples go up to him and say, why couldn't we heal him? Now, this is one of the more misunderstood statements in the Bible. Jesus said, this kind does not come out but by fasting and prayer. And in some, uh, in one of the Gospels he says, it's because of your unbelief. This kind comes out only by fasting and prayer. He's not talking about the demon. There was no super demon here. There was no super demon. It was their unbelief. They didn't really believe they could do what it was Jesus told them to do. You go back to, to, to Mark, or not Mark, uh, Luke chapter 10, Mark chapter 9. Jesus gave them all the authority they needed to deal with any demon that they ran into. Uh, but they didn't do that. 
he said, the reason that you failed was because of your unbelief. Now, if you follow up on that, you go to Mark chapter 6, verse 5, and Jesus is in His own hometown and He says that He could do no work there, could do no miracle there because of their unbelief. It didn't say that He didn't want to. It didn't say that He wouldn't. It said He couldn't because of their unbelief. So the people's unbelief blocked God from doing, blocked the Son of God, God incarnate, Jesus Christ Himself from doing what He wanted to do because their unbelief. Now, let's go on from there. And if you go to Acts chapter 10, verse 34, uh, Jesus said, "You can all, God's no respecter of persons. He'll do the same thing for us that He did for these people in the New Testament. And um, in Mark, or not Mark, in um, yeah, in Mark nine twenty two, Jesus said, uh, the guy says this, Jesus, if you're willing, help me. And Jesus answered the question about healing forever. He says, I'm willing. I want to heal. Nobody that ever came to Jesus to get healed didn't get healed. He never told one of them, well, I think it's good for you to have a broken leg. Uh, you just stay that way for a while and I'm going to teach you something through it. He didn't say that. He doesn't use Satan as the teacher of the church. Now, Satan does things and the Lord will teach you through it, but who's the teacher of the church? It's the Holy Spirit. It's not, the, it's not Satan. Um, and one of the reasons, one of the things that has always uh, bothered me is Jesus was quick to tell these guys the reason this didn't work was because of your unbelief. And yet, we hear today when people uh, pray and they say for healing, well, I didn't get healed, it must not have been God's will. You, the, I've been told by pastors, you can't tell somebody that their faith didn't work. Why not? Jesus did. Am I so arrogant and so full of uh, pride to think that my faith is always working? And if it doesn't work, it must have been God that failed, not my faith? I don't think so. And that's one of the problems that we run into today. People do not accept responsibility. God won't do for you what He's told you to do. Okay? So He's given us all of these responsibilities, and He's given us all the tools that we need to do what He's called us to do. We just need to believe Him and go do them. That's the problem. Um One of the things that came out of this, and I want to go back to this, um, the Father probably did what many of us do today when things didn't, didn't work out like we thought they were going to work out. He adopted a theology that said God must have sent the sickness to teach me something. Um, if you follow that logic to its conclusion, if God sent the sickness, why are you going to the doctor and trying to get well? You need to, if God sent the sickness, keep it. Find If God wanted you to have it, He gave it to you, and you want Him, and you're, you're insistent that He gave it to you, then just keep it. And wait until He says you don't need it anymore. Instead, we go to the doctor, we do everything we can to get out of it. So, you believe that God sent the sickness and now you're doing everything you can to get out of God's will. That's, that's, um, that's, not, that's a duo mind again. Now, 
Jesus placed the responsibility squarely where it belonged. If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Now, I had a footnote in the Bible one time where Jesus said you can have what you say, and the footnote clearly said, well, Jesus didn't mean that you could have what you say. Well, if he didn't mean it, why did he say it? He means exactly what he says, and he says what he means. And Jesus said, I am willing, but my willingness won't heal you until you can believe I work in you. Get that. God's willingness to heal you won't heal you until you believe that He will. So our belief is put on the line. Um, I go back to one of my favorite stories, um, Brother Andrew, and if you haven't read the book, God's Smuggler, you need to. Uh, here's a man that got saved as a, as a, young, as a teenager in, in uh, Holland, in, in uh, uh, the Netherlands. Uh, and then he was invited to a uh, youth conference in Poland, which was behind the Iron Curtain at that time. And he gets there, and he finds out none of them have Bibles. None of them have Bibles. So it's his belief that God wants them to have Bibles. So he told the Lord, I'm going to take them Bibles. So he was given a Volkswagen. And if you can think of a Volkswagen Beetle, some of us are old enough to remember those. Um, if you think of a Volkswagen Beetle... Um, he goes in and packs the whole thing with Bibles. He doesn't even try to hide them. He says, I don't want to hide them, Lord, because if I don't want anybody to think when I get through that it was because you were so clever and you hid the Bibles. He said, he just put them on the seat. He put them in the back seat. They were out in the open. They were in the trunk and everything. Bibles. It said very clearly Bibles. And so he goes up to what we, what we would call Checkpoint Charlie. Um, and the, 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 the communist guards are checking the car in front of him. A man and a woman took an hour and a half to check it. They took out their 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 um, suitcases. They went through the car. They used the mirrors under the car to check everything. Took the opened the hood, went through the engine, everything to make sure there was no contraband. Took an hour and thirty minutes to get that couple through. He's the next one in line. As he's going up, he prays this prayer: "Lord, you made blind eyes see in the Bible. I'm asking you now to make seeing eyes blind." so that I can get these Bibles where I am. And with a car full of Bibles, he pulls up to the checklist, checkpoint. The guy sticks, the guard sticks his head in, asks him a question, looks around, waves him on. Less than five minutes he gets through with a carload of Bibles. Now, the problem is, he had enough guts to, to believe God to do that. If he's not right, he's going to spend his life in prison. He'll spend his entire life in prison if he's not right. So he put his life on the line believing that what God said was true and God came through. The, the whole, his whole book about God's smuggler and how his ministry got started is about God doing things like this for him. Uh, he, he just had enough courage to step out and do it. Um, the issue is not, is God able? The issue is, will He do it for me? Uh, religious people will admit that God can do anything, but they don't believe He'll do it for them. Okay? Now, I want to read uh, George Barna. If you don't know anything about George Barna, he is a, a, a um, professional pollster that does Christian research and polling. Um, he's in a place called the Christian Research Center at Arizona Christian University in Glendale, Arizona. 
And he's just released a number of, of interesting surveys. And I want to read a couple of these to you so you'll understand uh, where we are in Babylon, okay? What, what we're looking at to do here. Um, he just, he went through and he said the, the, he has a, a criteria of 51 questions that he goes through and to determine if people are actually believing the Bible and believing God. People say they're a Christian, but, but they don't necessarily mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're following the Scriptures. Now, 6% of the people in America are actually have a biblical worldview. Uh, one out of five Protestant churches and one out of six charismatic churches, uh, one of those people have a biblical worldview. That means they believe God in, in, in what He says. Now, the youngest generation of people, remember, He said, oh, you unbelieving generation. The generation now, the youngest generation, shows a mere 2% of those 18 to 29 years old possess a biblical worldview. Now, you might say that's bad, but actually it's pretty good. We've got, uh, we've got great opportunities here that if we'll do what Jesus has called us to do, if we'll step out and believe God to do what He said He would do, people will begin to see God in action and we'll start having these kids, uh, when, they come, when they come for prayer right now, uh, they get prayers like, uh, you know, well, uh, an 18-year-old says, my mom and dad were involved in a bad car wreck and they're in the hospital. And what does the church do? Well, our thoughts and prayers are with you. That's worthless. Who cares if your thoughts and prayers are with them? What we need is somebody that has the power of God that can work in that situation and has enough courage to believe God to go do it. Um, I'm part of uh, Rick Bonfim's ministry. You can see it right there on the front. Rick Bonfim has the courage to do that. And the stories of him stepping out and believing God and doing miracle after miracle are, are endless. I can tell you some that I know of people that have gone to Brazil with him that have miracle after miracle happen while they were there. So it's the courage of people to step out. This 2%, uh, when they come to pray, if we're believing God and the, the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, you may have these kids come up. Maybe they're struggling with same-sex attraction or whatever. They'll come up. And, and instead of giving them your thoughts and prayer, the Lord gives you a word of knowledge about them. Hey, is your mother sick in the hospital or something? Why, why, yes, she's got cancer. Well, I think God wants to pray. I think God wants to heal them. And then you pray for them or you ask them, do, do you have, were you in a car wreck or something? Because the Lord showed you a picture of this kid and then a, a car wreck. Why, well, yes, I was. And, my back was damaged beyond repair or whatever it is. And she said, well, I think the Lord wants to heal you. And you lay hands on them and God heals them. That will have an effect on these 2%. They'll start saying, hey, if mama's sick, if your girlfriend's sick, if your dog got hit by a car, whatever, go to this church. God's in operation there and He'll heal you. Then we'll start having crowds of people come in. But let me go on just a minute. Uh, in the American worldview inventory, we measure not beliefs, but the application of those beliefs because people do what they believe. If you truly believe something, you integrate it into your life and your lifestyle reflects those beliefs. Um, for some reason, people that b believe in the Bible 
are unable to apply those beliefs to their daily lives. Now, let's go on. I want to read the next uh, a couple other sections to you here. <clears throat> Christian church, pardon me. Yeah. Christian churches that have a high view of the Bible, believing that the Bible is inspired uh, true, and have a as a true word of God for a reliable guide, we're much more likely to have a biblical worldview than those attending churches that don't believe that way. So, if you attend a church and they make all kinds of excuses for the Bible and they don't pray for people to get sick and they pray, a key example of that is um, Mama's sick and said, well, let's pray and if it be God's will to heal her. If you hear that in a prayer, just leave the church. I'm just telling you right now, if that's the way your church believes and prays, just leave it because you're not going to get your prayers answered. Now, um, the fact that not quite one out of five born-again adults holds a biblical worldview highlights the extensive decline of core Christian principles in America over the last several decades. Now, uh, from this point, uh, what we want to talk about is we want to understand what does God say. We want to answer these questions. Why is it so hard for us to take the Bible at face value in areas of healing, prosperity, and deliverance? Brother Andrew understood that God wants His people to have His Word, so he made the decision to take the Word to them. God honored that decision and protected him. I can't tell you how many times God protected him. In that book, there's just miracle after miracle that he talks about where God worked on his behalf. And all he did was just believe that God would take care of him. Okay. Now, the second question, why do we have so much trouble accepting that the promises in the Bible are for us? Because we've been taught that. That's what we grew up believing, that, that the, the number one thing about witnessing is getting somebody saved. Well, it certainly is important. But what happens after they get saved? You need somebody to guide them through walking through life. Um, I think it was Chris Vallotton that said, why did God send Satan to earth? Somebody asked him that question. He made the great comment that Satan was sent to earth as punishment because God knew there would be millions of little Jesuses walk around that would hook him by the nose and drag him around because of what God gave them the power to do. But he's, he's, he's been able to, to as uh, uh, C.S. Lewis would say, he's been able to farhoodle us into believing that, that, that God doesn't want us healed. So, now, the battle about this is that not in our flesh, it's in our mind. We need our minds transformed. We need our mind renewed to this. And the only way to do this is to go to the Word of God, find out what God said about it, and then get with Him and believe it. Make it a priority. Maybe we skip soccer practice. Uh, maybe, maybe we don't watch so much TV. And in my case, maybe we don't watch so much hockey during the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, even though God loves hockey, I don't know that, you know, uh, if I need healing, I don't want to be calling the Colorado Avalanche and ask them to come heal me. Uh, so, the, the primary thing that we want, to, we want to believe is, how do we put these things into effect in today's environments? Now, <clears throat> It's interesting as we go through there, one of the world's, uh, the America's dominant worldview is not really a worldview at all. It's called 
Synecretism. And um, uh, S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M, Synecretism. It means we pull a little bit from the Hindus, we pull a little bit from the Buddhists, we pull a little bit from the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and we take all of these different things, and, and a lot of times we'll pull things from Ben Franklin and other people, and we'll put all these things in a big package and we'll say uh, that we're Christian. Well, no, we're not. If you're relying on what Buddha says, if you're relying on what Joseph Smith wrote about in the Book of Mormon, if you're relying on all those things, you're not relying on the Bible. And that's one of the problems. Is that 88% of American adults fall into that thing when you ask them what their worldview is. One, they haven't thought through it. And number two, synecretism is, is it because they'll pull things from here and they'll pull things from there. Now, in the process of doing this, what do we have? We have people that don't believe anything. And I forget who it was. It might have been G.K. Chesterton. I don't know. that I, I remember the quote. Uh, if, if, uh, if man doesn't believe any... Uh, how do you say it? If man doesn't believe in God, he'll fall for anything. I think that's the quote. It should have been a quote if it wasn't. Anyway. Um, so I want you to understand this is what we're going to pursue from, from now on. Uh, the next chapter we'll get into in this book... We'll go through the next couple of chapters. Help my unbelief and removing unbiblical stipulations. We're going to do that in the next the next time we get together. So I'm going to pray, Father. Thank you so much for this time, and Lord, I ask you to help us answer these three questions, Father. Help people put their mind together and put it with your word and begin to believe you for a biblical worldview that will take us where you want us to go and not necessarily where we think we ought to go, but where you want us to go. We thank you for that, sir, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you the next time. Stella.